Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast. Maybe, can I say something? Of course. Can you just change that up a bit? Because it's not a surprise to me. Like, okay. It's not, I can't respond because I'm like, yeah, you've mm-hmm. already said this to me. So I'm a surprise you. Just, just. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is going in the bloopers reel. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just say something unexpected. Okay. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast. My wife. Wait, the other way I'm saying. My wife. <laughs> My, <laughs> wife. <laughs> wife. My wife. My wife. My wife. My wife. My wife. Okay. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Coffee Podcast, your weekly blend of motivation, encouragement, education and insight into all things medicine for junior doctors and medical students in South Africa. The 2nd of June 2023 is Crazy Socks for Docs Day, a day to shine a light on the mental health of doctors. This is our chance to talk about it, break the stigma associated with mental illness and to be there for one another. In this very special episode, I have the privilege and honor of interviewing my beautiful wife, Carmen, who has been so brave and kind as to open up about her own struggles with anxiety and depression. This episode really hits close to home. I cannot overstate how significant it is that my wife has agreed to open up on a podcast like this, especially because of how anxiety and depression have affected her over the years. She clearly believes in what we will share in this episode so strongly that she is able to put her own discomfort and fear aside to help some doctor or medical student who needs to hear this. Before we begin, if you can identify with the contents of our conversation and need to reach out to someone, please consult the show notes or our Dr. Coffee podcast link tree or the social media posts on Instagram promoting this episode to find phone numbers and links to free mental health resources and hotlines to urgently get whatever assistance you may need. I hope that this episode is a great blessing to all who listen. And now, without any further ado, here is my interview with my wife, Carmen. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast. My wife, the bride of my youth, someone whom I have dated and loved for 15 years, married for 13 of those years. Loved for the whole 15 years? Always, always. <laughs> Carmen, <laughs> sh- I'm introducing you. Sorry. Carmen, otherwise known as Lady Coffee. Uh huh. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to see what you do in all your spare time as a second year intern. <laughs> you are my long-suffering wife who yeah. has put up in with all of my eccentricities and my forays into podcasting. This is true. And as if it wasn't enough that I'm doing all this podcasting, you actually put up with me quitting my job and starting medicine at the ripe old age of 33, when we had three small children, what was that adventure like? Yeah, I mean, that was extremely difficult, to say the least. Um, But you had a dream in your heart, and I knew that if anyone could do it, it was you. And we had the support of our family. And yeah, I mean... If you can't change your life at 33, when can you change it, you know? Mm. And what many people don't know is that when you married me, I was very far away from anything to do with medical school and becoming a doctor. What was I doing um, from my, what was my nine to five? How did I bring home a salary when you married me? 
yeah, so you were a barista, <laughs> I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, were, you were Mr. Coffee. And Mr. Coffee. <laughs> I married Mr. Coffee and, and then I got Dr. Coffee. <laughs> so, you know, I'm grateful. Yeah, I, I was making coffee at our church. Yeah. So, you know, not Which even was like... amazing. It was awesome. Yeah. It was where we met. Um, we were both very involved in ministry and we loved it. Um, we had many exciting... Uh, <laughs> we were about to go down a long rabbit trail, but it's okay. We uh, are talking about mental health, okay? Because the 2nd of June 2023 is an important day where we show our support for the mental health of doctors suffering from all sorts of mental illness. So what do you know about crazy socks for docs? Um, well, I know you make funny reels. <laughs> no. um, so as I understand it, it's an initiative to raise awareness um, for doctors who struggle with mental health. And as far as I can gather, that's quite a large majority hmm. of doctors out there. No, I don't know if it's a majority of doctors, but certainly a significant number, right? And yeah. the whole idea behind it is that you wear some mismatched or brightly colored and crazy socks to catch people's attention and really stand yeah. out. and start a conversation. Start a conversation, exactly, to end some stigma, bring awareness to it. Um, and the way that it actually was started was a cardiologist by the name of Dr. Too Good, which I think is just an awesome name. I mean, there's so many perfectionist cardiologists around, <laughs> Dr. Too Good. Um, he was actually stopped by a colleague who noticed that he was wearing odd socks and that colleague knew that he had a previous history with mental health challenges. Mm. So he was just doing a, like a bit of a check-in, like, hey, uh, Doc, I noticed you... <laughs> hey, I noticed you've got different socks on today. You okay? Scale one is fluorescent of, yellow. Scale of one to ten. How are you doing there? <laughs> but it, it prompted him to say, you know, it took him wearing different colored socks for somebody to, to go like, okay, maybe he's not right today. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something going on. Sure. But how many times do we have people struggling and we don't know the private struggles of people. Doctors are human beings as well and they face not only the normal everyday stresses of life but they face the added burden of things like compassion fatigue and long hours yeah. and you know, yeah. pressure to succeed and study while doing a very difficult job. So so yeah, so that's the whole idea behind Crazy Socks for Docs is just to start um, bringing awareness to it, start a conversation. Yeah, that's great. I love their socks. I mean, I'm a I'm a, des a graphic designer. I do many things, but I'm a, one of them's a graphic designer. Yeah. And so you're talking um, about the Wardworks socks. Oh, now, so right? the Wardworks socks. Yeah. yeah. Got to uh, give them a good punt for. I just love this. the aesthetic of the socks. <laughs> they are aesthetically pleasing. I like that socks. <laughs> okay, so so we're starting this conversation, you and I, because sometimes it can be difficult to draw out of somebody. Um, an openness about their own challenges with mental health. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily fair to have a junior doctor on um, to talk about their challenges with mental health because there is still stigma and because it could draw unnecessary attention to themselves. So I apologize to you, first of all, because <laughs> I think I might be taking advantage of you a little bit and using you for the purpose of this podcast. But to put you in a position where you can discuss with us your own adventure. Uh, that's a terrible word, but that actually... That is a truly... Although it is, terrible it is, choice of I words. I mean, it's very up and down. 
Yeah. So it's your journey with yeah, mental health. Yeah. Okay. So so for the benefit of our, our podcast audience, which is mostly medical students and junior doctors, how would you describe your journey with mental health? First of all, let me say I'm not a I'm not in the medical field at all. I'm actually a professional photographer and a graphic designer. So what I'm sharing today is 100% from my personal experience, um, living with depression from really as far as I can remember and sort of going through the ups and downs through the years of it. I think depression is a complex condition even to the medical community, right, because there's no cure for depression and we don't fully understand it. There's so many different layers and complexities to people who suffer from the condition and how much more misunderstood is it by people who suffer from it. Mm. I know you said that it's for basically as long as you can remember. Looking back in hindsight, what would you say uh, was the first time in your life that you were proper clinically depressed? And and that's the definition of depression, you know, so it's losing that sense of pleasure in the things that bring you joy, yeah. not being able to get out of bed or having changes yeah. in your sleep and appetite. Yeah. Look, I think um, we all know that there is an aspect of depression that is hereditary, so it can be passed down through your family. And then there's the other side, which is environmental factors, such as the environment that you grew up in, um, sort of how your parents were, um, things like that. Okay, so so environment and your hereditary factors. Okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. But if you look back at your know, teenage years, young adulthood, like when when were you first diagnosed? Even if you're diagnosing yourself in hindsight, when did you first yeah, start experiencing yeah. depression? So to be honest, um, I I can recognise that I've had it all my life, okay. really, and. Uh, one medical professional's definition of depression is learned helplessness. Wow. Um, and I definitely saw that in my journey because I think when you um, go through traumatic events, mm-hmm. especially as a child, you often uh, withdraw mm-hmm. and it's almost like your body suppresses itself to cope with mm-hmm. what is going on around you. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a defense mechanism, yeah. you know, to protect yourself, um, to protect you from, uh, you know, real or imagined fears mm-hmm. and d- difficulties and trauma mm-hmm. that you face. Yeah. So, so yes, I do feel like it is passed through your genes, um, but it's also a result of yeah. sort of how you grew up. Yeah. And with that going too personal in terms of like childhood traumas and growing up traumas and things like that. Um, your your personal journey through depression also has a significant undertone of anxiety as well. Have you ever had times where you've only been anxious but not depressed or depressed but not anxious or do the two? Yeah, I actually, I actually feel like anxiety leads to depression, you mm-hmm. know, sort of long-term anxiety. And I think the two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we're not talking about the normal anxiety of like, um, you know, will I get a good mark for my test? It's pathological anxiety. And sometimes you've had debilitating anxiety. 
can you speak about times where your anxiety has overwhelmed you? Um, yeah, now it is. <laughs> no. Now would be an appearing, example. <laughs> appearing on the podcast. You're doing so well. It's really, it's really great to have you on the podcast. And, um, and this is really raw and real stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the morning um, not being able to get up because of what I fear lies ahead of me. Even if there's no, like, physical, real threat, mm. it's the thought of what could happen. Yeah. And and for the benefits of just, like, clearing any confusion, um, it's not because I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> <laughs> and the home environment is unlivable. Um, although I'm sure that there are times when I am a terrible husband, but the anxiety and... The depression is not always consistent with whether it's a good day or a bad day, right? You can have a good day ahead and still wake up incredibly anxious. Yeah, so I think I have discovered over the years that my depression is linked to uh, my menstrual cycle. So it's um, premenstrual de depressive disorder and that... Um, and I think it's also like about uh, tracking yourself and starting to spot the the signs and the signals. It's obviously a very emotional topic to discuss. And when I look back on the times when your anxiety has been the, the hardest or the, or the worst, I think the f most frightening thing for me is actually having seen you experience um, panic attacks before um, for, yeah. for us I mean I was upstairs one one day and I just heard this like <gasps> sound and yeah. I, I knew I instantly knew it was you and I came down and I found you frozen in place just like unable to catch your breath yeah and it's 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 totally like a sudden physiological reaction that you yeah. you can't control and yeah. you you struggle to breathe and you think, and I think it it gets it heightens and heightens as it goes because you start to feel like, why can't I breathe? Mm. You know, and you start to worry. Mm. Um, I would say I've only had two or three real panic attacks yeah. my whole life. Yeah. But, I mean, they're so debilitating. Yeah, they're frightening, right? They are frightening because you literally feel like you're gonna die. Wow. Um, I recall, and this was even before med school, it was before I knew what the definition of a panic attack was, but I remember just putting my arms around you and just sinking with you to the floor and literally just holding you until you were able to catch your breath again. Yeah. Um, I don't even recall what the particular stressor was. It could have been just that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I'm just, I'm grateful. I haven't had one recently. It's been, yeah. it's been good, yeah. Yeah. So the reason I s say this is because those three things, anxiety, depression, and panic attacks, I think a huge number of people listening to this will be able to identify with. The statistics are that one third of South Africans suffer with mental health conditions like anxiety and depression yeah. and substance use disorders. Yeah. Now that's one third of South Africans. But the research also shows, and I thank Wardworks for this, for 
putting these resources out there and, and letting it be known that doctors actually have a higher prevalence of those disorders. Yeah. And also, you know, with the substance abuse thing, Yeah. <coughs> sometimes, um, I mean, I don't, uh, you know... You're not a heavy luckily, drinker. You don't luckily, do I, don't, <laughs> I don't struggle with substance abuse. Yeah. Um, but I can understand how some people are so desperate to escape mm. the weight of depression that the only way to escape for them in their mind is through drinking heavily yeah, um, to make themselves feel some kind of joy. Mm. Um, I can't comment on any drugs because I've never taken drugs, but um, sometimes you're just so desperate to feel a sense of happiness sure. that you're willing to do whatever it takes just to kind of get out of that mm, that, that spiral. Yeah. You know, you've often described it as the funnel pulling you down. Um, <clears throat> so what are some of the features that you highlight in yourself that you say, actually, because, I mean, through experience over many years, you've been able to say, uh, you, you sometimes come to me and say, I'm funneling. And we know that means that you, you're feeling that gravitational pull towards the drain, you know, um, you, you're feeling that pull downwards. So what for you are some of the warning signs about the fun? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, depression is not um, an on-off switch. Mm -hmm. It's not like today I'm okay and tomorrow I'm full-on depressed. It's like there's degrees and there's levels. Mm. And... Yeah, I would say it's important to recognize when you're starting to funnel, mm -hmm. as I like to call it, mm -hmm. when you're starting to see that you're going down mm -hmm. and you can recognize the signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. And funneling doesn't necessarily mean that everything's falling apart, right? Sometimes you, you've developed such good coping skills, you just keep on going. Even in the middle of that funneling, um, you're still able to have some sem semblance of function. But there are important other features of depression and anxiety, such as impaired concentration, memory loss, where you just forget to follow up on things. And even stuff that you were putting in your diary, you just have a, a problem preparing for it, remembering stuff. Yeah. Um, you've shared with me before that you sometimes in your darkest moments, like you can't even remember those days. You look at photos and you're like, wow, I have no memory of that. Yeah, I mean, with our second child, with Haley, I had postnatal depression. And I, I, I almost want to say I don't really have many memories mm. of the first six months of her life. Yeah. I know that, I mean, there are moments that I can remember, but it's it's very blurry. Yeah. And she was a beautiful baby. We were so happy to bring her home. And like, oh, yeah. And I, I must be honest, I was there was just, There were so many moments. There were so many, are so many moments of joy. Yes. Even in the, and that's important, is that even in the midst of, because people could say, oh, how can you be depressed? You were laughing at a joke two minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, you're not depressed. You're, not, you're smiling. You yeah, know? yeah. But that's the important thing is that depression doesn't mean that you can't smile. You know, we talk about restricted affect. It just means you smile a lot less <laughs> than normal people. 
Yeah, well, you know, we talk about restricted affects and blunted affects when we're doing a mental status exam, and um, that's certainly there. Mm. But a person can still fake it, you know, they can still hide it. And that's what's so important about creating awareness. So we remove the stigma, mm. start a conversation, and check in with people and say, listen, that was traumatic. What you, that patient that you cared about passed away. What you went through is not normal. Mm. Are you okay? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think I don't think it's so much that people want to hide it. I think that it's because um, it can be quite tiresome to deal with depressed people. So when I say it can it can be tiresome to deal with depressed people, I'm not saying it in a judgmental, negative way, but I think it's the human condition that dealing with someone who tends to be quite negative Mm -hmm. and who tends to focus a lot on their feelings and um, isn't really full of energy and seems to sleep a lot. I think people who suffer from depression can pick that up from others around them. And I think that often that is something that causes people who suffer from depression to retreat into themselves and to hold mm. how they're really feeling sure. inside. Mm. And which is so bad because, I mean, that's what pushes you down the funnel. And that's, yeah. what, that's what causes people to eventually, you know, with people like with doctors, for yeah. example, who have being at the top of their game, who seem to just have it all together and then all of a sudden commit suicide. And you just think, where did that come from? Yeah. That has been there for years and years and years, layer upon layer, pushing Mm. them down. Sure. So up until this point, you've been extremely vulnerable and open. And I want to thank you for that because these are not easy things to talk about. And I want to kind of remove some of the the burden off of you at this point, instead of talking about yourself, I'm not somebody that has ever had a formal diagnosis of a mental health disorder. I'm sure you've diagnosed me many times with all sorts of things, (laughs) personality disorder, plus plus (laughs) schizophrenia, Um, ADD, ADHD, ADHD, Um, but hyperactive, (laughs) but I have gone through stressful times as a doctor and you, I think because of your own experience, you've been extremely sensitive to that. Um, when I've had a bad day and I've said to you, I'm, I'm having a bad day, you've almost put the skids on everything else to be like, clear your schedule and be like, come here, take a deep breath. What's going on? And I'm like, relax, I just had a bad day, it's fine. I'm like, brush it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like engage empathy, yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> But it's because you know how how that final feels. Yeah, and you and and I crave empathy when I'm at my most low. Yes, because you need it yeah. as a person. Yeah, you one hundred percent need empathy because it's it's hard to struggle with mental illness. So when I'm going through stuff, and there are times when I'm not having a great time of it, and I'm under stress, and there's pressure at work or when I'm facing emotional things, when I'm going through stuff, how do you know? Like, what do you see in me? Somebody who's not been clinically depressed before. Yeah, I think your default is 
to push even harder and you become quite task orientated and it's almost like an underlying anger hmm. um, a frustration um, because you have to just keep going right hmm. there's no time to slow down hmm. and you've you've highlighted that to me before mm. you've come to me and said listen do you notice that you just seem very aggressive I'm like I'm not aggressive I'm fine but it's a like you said that it's a defense mechanism so I think what I'm trying to highlight for our listeners is to be aware of people's defense mechanism because the defenses are going up because there's pain right yeah hurts people hurt people right yeah Hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And and as I understand it, mm-hmm. anger's really linked to depression. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, even the Kubler-Ross cycles, you know, there's grief, there's anger, there's depression, there's bargaining, there's acceptance. We can interact with all sorts of even minor traumas. I mean, traumas are quite subjective, you know. You can interact with all sorts of traumas in your life with those kinds of things. Well, we started out this recording and I said to you that this is literally just going to be a short discussion um, just to bring out some of your personal experiences and your personal feelings about mental health and spe- specifically about depression and anxiety. Um, what would you like all junior doctors and medical students listening to this to know about mental health and these conditions? Well, I think probably one of the most important things is to really have empathy for those who do um, have a a mood disorder Mm -hmm. because it's very often not, you know, completely due to their attitude or um, how they want to be. It's often just who they are, Mm -hmm. you know, like we we talked about the genetic and the environmental and all that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So when it comes to this other significant people in your life, I think it's very important that you educate them about um, what you go through when you're sort of on a depressive cycle and that when they ask you how you're feeling, you can often give an answer on a scale of one to ten. So for me, for example, I mean, even from this conversation, you can tell that I don't always have the words Mm to describe Mm. and to explain Mm. what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's easier to say, today I'm a four, or today I'm a six, Mm. or today I'm like, I think I'm a one. Mm. And you'll probably find me sleeping in bed the entire day because I just don't have energy to move. And to say to people, I'm not feeling great today, but I'm learning to manage my symptoms Mm. because it's often the symptoms that you need to try distract yourself away from. Mm. And you can distract yourself away from many of them because the mind is a powerful thing. Mm. You can speak to yourself. You can speak to your soul and say, soul, don't be so sad. Let's try find something that could lift your spirits. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a walk around the block with your dog. Maybe it's watching the notebook for mm-hmm. the hundredth time. If you're a girl, if you're a guy, no judgments. You can also watch it. Um, but it's learning to recognize when your symptoms start 
what you can do to work around them. So, for example, for me, if I take a shower, I find that my symptoms are instantly lifted. I feel lighter. I feel brighter. Also, taking your meds. I mean, anyone who's been on these SSIRs or... SSRIs, yeah. (laughs) Selective serotonin reactor. Those things, those things. If you don't take them for one or two days, you are in trouble, baby. It's like... It sends you on a roller coaster if you don't take them constantly. Mm-hmm. So what I've found in my sort of cycles of depression is that if I'm having a good couple of days, I'll often have this like crazy energy and I'll be inspired and I'll be working hard and I'll 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 have the energy to like, you know, work all day and then put the kids to bed at night and then work until twelve o'clock at night because I'm so enthusiastic and energetic about what I'm doing but that almost pushes you into a depressive cycle because not only are you do you have a lack of sleep mm-hmm. um, your dopamine receptors are being fried because you are just consuming all this information on your phone and your laptop and it's almost like you need to have self-control to say okay, enough is enough now. Mm. I need to put my phone away. Mm. I need to get some sleep. Mm. And we often think of self-control like towards, how have self-control towards bad things, but we actually also need to have self-control towards good things like yeah. work. And I remember when I first said to you, hey, I'd love to do a 15-minute chat with you about mental health and your experience of depression. One of the first things you said was, we have to tell them about sleep, mm. the importance yeah. of sleep in your mental 100%. health. 100%. I find that I need a whole bunch of sleep, like nine plus hours a night. Yeah, and it's always been like that. Since we were first married, I've survived on six hours a night, and yeah. you need like nine or ten. 100%. We used to joke about you needing your beauty sleep. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, anyone who's been to or anyone who is a psychiatrist will tell you, let's first get you sleeping, mm. you know, Um And I think one of the best things I ever did for myself was to go see a psychiatrist. Mm. Um, And I have the most amazing psychiatrist who is just so empathetic and so understanding. And she's really sort of walked the journey with me and encouraged me. Mm. I think the psychiatrists who listen to this episode are going to be very, very happy to hear the shout out you've given uh, psychiatry because many times they've expressed that other doctors will go like, oh, you, you're a psychiatrist. Are you really a doctor? Like, I mean, you don't really correct any lab values, you know, do you? Besides <laughs> the fact that they change people's lives. Yeah, they save lives, right? Oh, yeah. They're amazing people. They're the best. <laughs> um, I must say that going through psychiatry now, I have a newfound respect for psychiatry and for psychiatrists. Um, which is not to say that I want to be one. <laughs> I know that I'm not cut out to be a psychiatrist, but I can appreciate the intricacy, the art, um, the depth of knowledge, and the sensitivity to the human condition required to be a good psychiatrist. Yeah. I think you definitely need to have a good, good measure of empathy mm-hmm. um, and a heart for people. Mm. 
and patience. Mm. All, all things I don't have. Yeah. Kwame, <laughs> <laughs> it's been awesome to spend maybe 10, 15 minutes with you just talking about depression, anxiety, and panic disorders. Um, you've been extremely vulnerable and open, and I know that you've expressed frustration with not being able to articulate fully everything you want to, mm. but I think that there's enough here that a lot of people will learn from and a lot of people will also identify with. Mm. So on this crazy socks for docs day, <laughs> we want to say that it's okay to not be okay and that you need to check in with your friends and it's okay to go to someone and say, listen, can we just chat? Buy somebody a coffee. This wouldn't be the Dr. Coffee podcast if we didn't encourage people to imbibe a warm beverage from time to time. <laughs> But spoil somebody in your world with a coffee and bless them with your time and your attention. Um, I think good things can come from it. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. We should do this again sometime. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>